podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. All right, welcome back to the pod. Boss Man has joined me. Hey there. This episode, dear listeners, is thanks to you for all the emails and voice messages you've been sending in. We're going to roll them here today and offer our thoughts, comments, and reactions, no doubt of varying usefulness as we go along. Of course, here at the TMBA, our main theme, Ian, is financial freedom, location independence, and building a cash flow generating asset on your own terms. Some would call it a lifestyle business. Mm -hmm. Some would use the term pejoratively, but we've always been into it because look, if your lifestyle demands that you grow a multi-million dollar business and have a big exit, that can be done in a lifestyle business context as can having no employees and making a good living from yourself from some random city around the world. So that's sort of the themes, and we're going to touch on most of them here today through your questions. So stick around. You hear about some talk about financial freedom, location arbitrage and ROI, and love in the time of COVID. So hold on to your hats. Uh, we're going to get around the horn on this one. Before we jump into the episode today, you got any uh, updates for us? I've got good news for the listenership of this podcast. As some of you know, Dan has previously been living in my backyard. He has <laughs> since moved out of my backyard into his own apartment. That's right. I sold my trailer uh -huh. after we got back from Colorado, and I said, no more of this. Mm -hmm. Can't have any more people living on my property. <laughs> <laughs> you got yourself a nice warm bedroom downtown. I did, yeah. That's great that you just find a way to keep bringing this up. You know, <laughs> me living in your backyard was about togetherness, and it was about bonding. <laughs> Well, I thought it was a great time until people started pointing out that it was maybe weird. <laughs> it was but for us, it was weird. great. I mean, we had margaritas on tap. <laughs> we were talking business all day. It was it was highlight of my year. I'll tell you this. One of the things I love, love, love about all this financial freedom stuff is the little weird things that you get to do. Like you get to drive places when not everybody else is driving places. Sometimes you work on Saturdays, but you take Wednesday off. I love the idea of you know being able to go golfing during the day when no one else can go golfing. And just little things like that continue to be rewarding to me. I mean, we both value working consistently and working hard. We've been doing it for a decade. But there's something about the dignity of being able to choose how you're going to organize your days and your weeks that have always really always appealed to me in what you know we'll call this freedom lifestyle or lifestyle businesses or whatever. Yeah. You know, the other day, Dan, it was kind of this like surreal thing for me. I, I didn't get to hang out with my uh, with my son that much because I was running around like a crazy person. I got home and he was already in bed and it was kind of a bummer. And it kind of just dawned on me like, oh, man, this is like how most people live. Like most people see their kid for like 30 minutes to an hour. It's like you wake up, you pack the lunch, they go to school, they come home, you eat dinner, and then they're in bed. I guess, you know, I just had a kind of a realization like man kind of lucky here to be able to spend so much time 
with you in the trailer and my son <laughs> when he's at home. Yeah, certainly there's an amount of luck that goes into this, but also, you know, the listenership over the years have proven through their stories, some of which we'll hear today, that luck is a constant in the universe. And so focusing on that isn't going to do you much good. Getting directed, getting focused on what you're trying to achieve in your life and in your business, being deliberate about it. The folks that can do this and do it intelligently can have some exceptional outcomes. So let's move on to it. The first two calls today were prompted by an ongoing discussion heightened by the pandemic about cities and whether or not the current pandemic situation is forcing companies and individuals to essentially reevaluate how important they are to them and their business and how things might change. So let's roll those calls and, and give some reactions after. Hi, Dan and Ian. Jonathan here, founder of Spotlight Podcasting. I just want to say thank you for your recent episode. I'm a current resident in New York, so it was a refreshing take on our current situation and a good response to the doom and gloom stories I keep seeing in the media. Now, although I'm a glass half full type of person, this definitely has got me questioning whether location is still a competitive advantage anymore. Um, originally being located here, I thought, well, great, I get to shake hands and give clients the white glove treatment. Um, although that's obviously less the case these days. Nonetheless, I still think that there's maybe even a new found sense of solidarity between city dwellers. You asked about personal experiences during coronavirus. Personally, I'm afraid to say I did have to give up my cushy WeWork membership uh, with the flavored water and the cold brew and start working more from home. But on the plus side, because my wife is now also working at home, as an HR manager for a small restaurant group, I get to spend more time with her, which is nice. People talk about the restaurant industry being heavily impacted. Although, to be honest, everyone still needs to eat and her restaurants are actually thriving at the moment. So yeah, life goes on. And this next call is from Tim. We're just going to roll this real quick and then and we'll be back. Hey, Dan and Ian. Tim Leffel here. I'm the publisher of Al Centro Media, which runs a bunch of travel websites. I'm a blogger and a book author as well. Longtime listener. And I wonder if maybe you guys are putting too much emphasis on this idea of needing to live in a hub of some kind of place where you can mingle in person with lots of other entrepreneurs, especially since in the same breath, you usually mention conferences and events, which in my mind can fulfill that need quite well. The last three places I've lived in the past decade have been Nashville, Tennessee, Tampa, Florida, and Guanajuato, Mexico, where I am right now. And I haven't met anybody doing what I'm doing in any of those places, but I don't think it's really mattered. I've networked online. I've gone to a lot of events and conferences. I've been in mastermind groups that do regular calls. And it seems like, especially these days when everything's virtual anyway, you can accomplish most of what you would accomplish by living in a place like Chiang Mai or Barcelona or some other place that's filled with other entrepreneurs. All the entrepreneurs I meet here run restaurants or coffee shops. It's not much of a learning experience in that sense, but I think I get what I need on my laptop and my phone and have managed to support a family and put a kid through college and run a good lifestyle business 
from living exactly where I wanted to live instead of a place that I kind of wanted to live with difficult visas. Anyway, that's my thought. Love the show. Keep at it. Talk to you later. Well, first off, thanks to, to Jonathan and Tim for calling in. Hearing directly from people's experience, especially the details, I find to be insightful and inspiring, and you can really do something about them. This is part of what we try to do at our in-person events, which have sadly gone away for now, is inspire our members to share the details of their personal experience. To me, when I hear specific details from a real lived story, I find that I can do a lot more with that than like general overarching theories, which on the surface are shinier or cooler, maybe sell more books, but it's those details from actual lived experience that I can put, you know, rubber to the road, so to speak. So I appreciate Jonathan and Tim sharing their uh, stories. And all this is sort of circling back to this James Altiker article when he wrote, New York City is dead forever. Here's why. He essentially posits that, look, the new recovery, whatever that is, is going to look a lot different from old recoveries because we are AB. We are after bandwidth. In other words, a lot of what cities provided in the past was basically a high bit rate between individuals. And now we've been able to replace that with the internet. This is a new situation that did not exist in the last you know, American downturn or global downturn. Now, we've heard responses from on the internet from Jerry Seinfeld, and there's been all kinds of like local opinion articles, one called, who the F are you to tell me my city's dead? And the emotional response to James's comments are pretty predictable, I think, which is like, yeah, I mean, New York City's amazing. It's always been amazing. It's going to continue to be amazing. Who cares if a couple companies got to move out? That's not really the interesting dialogue for me. What I'm more interested in is like, are some of these trends that James is pointing to in his original article, are they valid? Is there going to be upheaval? Like, what's it going to look like? How can you take advantage or avoid downside because of those insights? Any thoughts on that, boss man? I mean, I think I still feel the same way that I did when we discussed this before, which is, you know, I'm not in New York City right now, but if I had to guess, there still wouldn't be any empty parking spots. <laughs> Different people are going to come in than may have uh, occupied the space, but certainly it's going to be full. You know, as it relates to Tim's comments here, I think it's cool what he's what he's up to. He mentions not necessarily needing to bump into entrepreneurs. I do think that the importance of cities is still there, and I, I think it's even relevant for me. Like I've picked my location, my primary location in Austin, Texas, for various different reasons. And I think that those reasons are important and they're relevant to me right now. And they might not be 10 years from now. Maybe I won't live here. But I think my question for Tim is, and people like Tim, if it's true that you actually are getting everything you need from your family, your phone, and your laptop, I think that the, the litmus test for that would be go live somewhere extremely boring like edge of the earth boring. <laughs> We're not going to mention any towns. <laughs> yeah, I won't, I won't mention any towns for fear of offending people. But I think that that's the test because the, the cities that Tim mentioned are actually pretty cool. Yeah. And I think relevant in their own ways. They're just tertiary cities or, or second and third tier cities. But you know, I think, that, again, the litmus test is, is go live somewhere extremely boring with isolation and no cultural experiences. And I think you'll maybe say that 
you do need something a little bit more than your phone and your laptop. Certainly some thoughts popped up for me. The first was, you know, Tim's essentially suggesting it's enough to be able to go to events and like run my business from my laptop. And it absolutely is. And we're seeing a whole new generation of people over at Dynamite Jobs get hip to this idea that, yeah, I, I want to live in like this city that's maybe not super relevant traditionally to my business because of a whole host of other reasons. I want my kids to grow up there. I want to be around this sport or hobby or this culture. Or is it enough? Absolutely 100%. That's the magic of distributed companies, lifestyle business, remote teams. Yes, you can live somewhere completely irrelevant to your business and hang out with coffee shop owners. In fact, it's one of the coolest feelings in the world. If you got a business that's making dollars and you're hanging out on the beach spending pesos and everybody else around you is running coffee shops and you're running a successful internet business, that is mind-blowing. It's it's super cool. But is location a competitive advantage? You bet your butt it is. Yeah. <laughs> I am a Big, big believer in location. Whether it's, hey, you're living somewhere cool by the beach because that inspires you to do your best work every day. It could be even like a little hidden thing in there, which is like it's quiet and peaceful. And so you can be creative every day instead of pick up the phones all day long, which you might do if you were around busier people in a busier city. It could be that you're set up in a tax jurisdiction that's beneficial or that you hire people in a tax jurisdiction that's beneficial or you do your fulfillment out of it. So again, location is everything for all of this stuff. And whether you're locating on the web or by the beach or in a low tax area, I think it's worth considering. But specifically on the location stuff, Ian, I want to insist on the opportunity, especially for young people that maybe don't have an established business. I still believe that it's in-person relationships. If you want to talk about bandwidth and bitrate, that is a huge bandwidth, is being across the table from someone, understanding who they are, what the opportunities are there. You just cannot recreate it on Zoom. And I want to bring up a few ideas related to how young people can leverage their location, whether it's temporarily through an event or a mini retirement or a relocation. There's a great idea that entrepreneurs can leverage. Uh, It was brought forth by Malcolm Gladwell, and he brought it up in the context of college. And he said, if you're going to be like at the middle to the lower side of an Ivy League class, or if you could be the top of the class, say at a state university, like the University of Maryland, What he saw was that you'd have a lot better experience if you were the top of the class at University of Maryland than if you went to an Ivy League school. Now, this idea always really resonated with me once I heard it because I actually lived it. I went to a state school and was the top of my class and I got really good grades. So I transferred to a fancy Ivy League equivalent school in Canada which is a, <laughs> it's a long story. But what I found was my experiences differed enormously because at the fancy school, I had no access to my professors. I w- in fact, I would have to work hard for four years to have that access and be a graduate student. Whereas at the state school, where there were very few philosophy majors, I got access to the same kinds of minds simply because I was in a smaller pond, so to speak. Yep. Something to think about if you're leveraging location for your business, there's two polarities. On the one hand, you say, oh, I want to be in tech. 
it doesn't mean the automatic answer is just to go to San Francisco, right? Because maybe what you have to offer to the San Francisco scene might not be realized in the course of half a decade. There might be a tech city where, you know, and I experienced, as an analogy, I experienced when I moved to Asia, that the minimal marketing and tech skills that I had turned out to be very relevant to folks who had high-level established businesses, where in San Francisco, not so much. Now, on the other side of this, I've seen people overvalue places with potential and say, it's sort of like, if we build it, they will come sort of thing. Let's find this private island. All of a sudden, everybody's going to come here. One of the lessons I've learned over the years, Ian, is that places don't change that fast. And that's part of this New York City conversation, which is, we've always been here. We always will be here. There's something about this place that's bigger than just internet or bandwidth or you know X industry, that there's a long history of people coming here for a specific set of reasons, and that's not going to change just because of a pandemic. Dan, I think back to when we were first starting our careers, you know, we moved to San Diego independently, but for probably a lot of the same reasons. Like we saw it on MTV. Yeah. And that helps. <laughs> and our decision matrix was a lot different back then, or at least mine was, in terms of like the things that I valued in a city. You know, I was like, oh, I always kind of wanted to live by the beach. And oh, I kind of always wanted to live in California. You know, it was, I didn't have a lot of thought behind it. Thinking back, it was just something that I kind of wanted. Let me dig into that because I moved to California for the same reason people get loans on $40,000 cars they can't afford, which is I thought, well, hell, if I got to work anyway, I might as well do it somewhere nice. I might as well sit in a nice car while I'm doing it because in my mind, I was going to be going to an office nine to five for the rest of my life. And so this idea that I would live in an expensive place that's maybe not super strategic and has high taxes or whatever... It was fine because it's like, well, at least it's by the beach. At least it was on MTV. At least it's a cool place. At least I got a good leather chair to sit in while I have to go through this accepted fate. That's right, Dan. And I can see, you know, through this decision making process in terms of where you're going to live and what locations are relevant to you, it actually changes over time. It changes whether or not you have a business, changes whether or not you have a family, changes whether or not you're in your 20s. And I think all that's relevant. I think, you know, looking back in my time in San Diego, Dan, I just wish I was, for obvious reasons, meaning tax reasons, I wish I would have gotten out of there a little (laughs) bit earlier. But besides that, probably halfway through my stay there, it was actually a fairly irrelevant location. Like you had left. I never really made that many friends there because, you know, Californians are, in my experience, traditionally a little bit clanny. Wow. Opposed to somewhere like Austin, Texas. So, you know, I, I think I overstayed my welcome. They probably didn't want me there either, to, to tell you the truth. It's kind of like Tim found out. Like, I didn't really have access to entrepreneurs there because there weren't a whole lot of them. And I kind of figured that out with you going to these meetups. You know, it's like, oh, there's real estate agents and then there's us. That's right. like the path of entrepreneurship in California. And then there's these tech companies that are in a completely different realm. But, but, you know, back to that original insight. And even Tim mentioning this idea of walking around and being able to instantly identify the owners and the people running other businesses, even if they're very, very different. There's two considerations here with location. There's what's going on there. And then there's the level of traction that you can achieve in that going on. 
And I think that's where details like Tim's story and like Jonathan's story are really, really useful because the question we all have to ask is, what's my foothold? What's my foothold here? Is it a job? Is it an investor? Is it a, a friend? Is it a scene? There has to be a way that you can participate in what's going on around you. Otherwise, it's just pretty scenery. Today's show is sponsored and hydrated by Drink Element. That's spelled L-M-N-T, which I've been drinking daily now for weeks. These are basically electrolyte packages that hydrate you. I'm looking at the back of the package now. 10 calories for the flavored version. There's no junk in there. There's no sugar. It's essentially the right mix of salts, potassium, and magnesium to properly hydrate you. Now, I learned personally how important this is when I started cycling seriously when I was living in Barcelona. I would go on these big, long cycling adventures and realize that water simply does not cut it. So I started getting interested in the power of electrolytes. I'll now use electrolytes in my water nearly every day. And that's why it was so cool when Element came knocking to sponsor the pod. Element is also paleo and keto friendly. So not only are they good for cycling, but they're great for being productive in front of your computer, taking on day hikes, or even to use while you're fasting. Element was developed by Rob Wolf, a former research biochemist, and his coaches, Tyler and Lewis. They created this product because they were frustrated as I was with the lack of healthy electrolyte options on the market. Element is used by many of the world's top performing athletes, including the Navy SEALs, Team USA Weightlifting, and dozens of NFL, NBA, and other professional sports teams. They offer a no questions asked refund policy. You don't even got to send it back. So try it out. You'll get free shipping on all U.S. orders. Seriously, something I'm really excited about and use daily. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash tropicalmba on amazon.com. Try it out and see how it goes for you. Hopefully, you will enjoy it as much as me and the boss man have. Again, that URL is drinkelement.com slash tropicalmba. And a big shout out to the team at Drink Element for sponsoring the show. All right, next up, we got a call from Simon, who, like us, has been hugely affected by the implosion of in-person events. Hey, Dan and Ian, it's Simon here from Sydney, Australia. Prior to COVID, uh, I was working at an events company three days a week or in the events industry. It's a ticketing software company called I Want a Ticket. And we make money every time an event is held and an event organizer sells a ticket. Pretty quickly, like you guys, our business went to zero. I was working there three days a week and also running a skincare company called Dermatech Skincare with my partner, Grace. So that was life. The skincare company was kind of trickling along and I was also spending three days a week on the ticketing company, which I was an employee at. When COVID hit, I knew it was time to do something, have been looking for you know, change to happen in the world so there'd be an opportunity for me. It was good for the skincare business. People couldn't go and get facials, so our at-home treatment became more popular and we got more sales, but I wanted to do something more. So I started buying exercise bikes and ended up acquiring 40 exercise bikes and founding Healthy Hire, which was a subscription-based exercise bike service whereby I offered people free delivery anywhere in Sydney and for $30 a week, they could hire an exercise bike for me. The business ended up being a success. 
Uh, it was nerve-wracking for a while because I knew it would take 10 weeks for me to pay back my capital outlay of the exercise bikes, and I wasn't sure how long lockdown and COVID was going to hang around. Lockdown didn't last as long as I thought it would. Gyms opened up around about three months after I'd launched the business, but people still wanted to hold on to their exercise bikes because they were nervous about going back to the gym. So that foray into a subscription business, pushing my entrepreneurial muscle a little bit further, ended up being a really fantastic confidence-boosting exercise for me. So I was very grateful. And then that inspired me to start another business in the COVID era called Mackenzie's Meats, which is a meat box delivery service unlike anything that exists in Australia. It's the perfect amount of meat for anyone who eats a fairly meat-based diet or, say, carnivore keto diet. It's better quality meat than you can get at the supermarket. It's good value and it's way more convenient. So Mackenzie's Meats is going from strength to strength. We've got professional athletes on board, ambassadors, um, running around like a madman ordering meat and trying to reach as many people as I can. So COVID has been so far the change that I've been waiting for. It's made my life more exciting. It's made my brain work way faster. And all I can say is bring on the change. Thanks, guys. First off, I want to shout out, hearing Simon's story is, we wanted to share it today because it is so representative of the positive can-do attitude of the entrepreneurial know-how, the skill set we're all developing here on the show. But also, it's an insurance policy. I mean, the reality is, is most people in society can't respond the way Simon did. And that's because Simon's developed a know-how over the years to be adaptive. It's an enormous insurance policy. I find that inspiring and also it de-risks the path of long-term career or business stability. Like You don't necessarily need those things. In fact, having some pieces move around the board, having things shaken up can really, really benefit entrepreneurs. There's a lot to unpack here with what Simon's up to. I think on the surface, a lot of people might look down at something like this. You know, like, oh, wow, his, his business went bust, and then he started selling exercise bikes, and then he started selling meat. Like, this guy's all over the place. Like, I can't believe it. Why don't you just, like, stick to a business or, you Get know, a job, Simon. <laughs> I hear a story like this, and I think this guy's my hero. What you don't realize here, I think, reading between the lines is, Simon actually went out and sold the idea of these exercise bikes. And then a few months later, he sold the idea of this meat company. And to do that, I mean, you have to actually go face-to-face or on the phone in COVID times or email, and you have to convince someone of your idea. Not only do you have to get them to say, yes, I agree with you, Simon, I'd like to have an exercise bike, (laughs) they have to send you money. Oh, yeah. And then you have to get in your car and you have to drive the exercise bike there. So these transactions are not easily won. And he did it several times in the exercise bike and with the meat. And I think if you have the kind of hustle muscle that Simon has, you're going to be all right no matter what happens. And that's the amazing attitude that he has. But then also this entrepreneurial spirit. This is a guy that I want on my team 
potentially. And this is a guy that I would be very scared of if he competed with me because I know he's going to get it done. So the thing about this is that Simon will be okay no matter what happens. I think that's super cool and that's the power of entrepreneurship. A couple little things pop out at me. First is, you know, because Simon's in the game, let's we don't know how the exercise bike thing's going to work out in the long run. Let us know, Simon. We want to know. Now we're on the edge of our seats. And again, thanks for writing in, Simon, because like you know, we haven't met Simon. So we're just obviously using his words as a, a chance to reflect on ideas we have about our, ourselves. Yes. This idea that he had this insight that people are holding on to these bikes, even though they can go back to the gym. That's the kind of thing that happens all the time when you're in the game. You'll see information all the time that is counterintuitive, that you wouldn't have predicted. And essentially, that's what our businesses are in their essence, is there entities that create real information about the world. And if you can consolidate it, own it, organize it, build it, scale it, that's what we're talking about here. And I'm also reminded of an episode we had with Christopher Gimmer a few weeks back. And he talked about, look, if you plot out entrepreneurial success, it's going to be all over the board in individual instances. And that's why a lot of normies out there might be scared to take this entrepreneurial journey on. But if you look at it over time, the outcomes are incredible. And that's essentially this idea of, hey, eight out of 10 small businesses fail. Here's the thing about Simon. He's going to start 10. You get the opportunity to go at it again and again and again, to iterate, to parlay, to restart, to reboot, whatever it is. Over the course of 20 to 30 years, the prospects look pretty good. I'll say this too about what Simon's up to. And again, Simon, I'm just using your hustle as a backstop here. This hustle, I really identify with it. And I think for me, Dan, if everything we're doing here blows up, you can absolutely catch me being the king of Craigslist in Austin before I'll have a job. <laughs> There's no question in my mind I'd rather be hustling around, owning my days, owning my time, probably making a little bit less money than I would be having a job making payments on a used car. You know, I was speaking with a, the director of sales at a startup, classic Silicon Valley sales gentleman and really cool guy. And He's just telling me about all the machinations of this deal and that deal. And he was telling me about like some big names we've all heard of and like how they were lying about the reports and they weren't doing any due diligence, even though this fancy VC firm gave them so much money and all this kind of stuff. And he was in it, but not in control of any of it, you know, and like a lot of it was wrong. And I just kind of thought to myself, and I even said to him, I said, Hey, you know, we're not talking in the numbers you guys are talking in, but me and my business partner always used to say, we'd rather be the captains of a canoe then be fending the waves off in a cruise ship. That's right. If that canoe has to be the king of Craigslist, actually not about <laughs> Check on that domain while we move on to this next call. <laughs> Doug rang in to give his view about the place of entrepreneurship in the FIRE debate or financial independence retire early, which has been ongoing here at the show. And it's really been interesting to see people's different perspectives and approach to this stuff, given that top level theory again of, fire or a thousand day thinking compared to the individual lived experience of listeners of the show. Hey, Dan and Ian, it's Doug Cunnington here from Niche Site Project. And I love the episode about acquiring wealth. 
I kind of ended up with a blend of two of the paths that you guys talked about, plus entrepreneurship now. I saved a little money early in my career with the traditional route, just threw in my 401k. And after a while, I realized that that traditional route wasn't for me. And I like starting and running businesses now. Rewind, I had no interest in entrepreneurship as I was getting out of school. And I got a good job doing management consulting and project management. After about nine years, I started side hustling with affiliate marketing just for fun. And a couple years after that, I got laid off. So I tried to take that side hustle full time. I did get interested in working for myself and entrepreneurship during that side hustling period. And shout out to you guys. I got a huge amount of inspiration from shows like TMBA and Smart Passive Income. Now, the other sort of path that I got into aside from the traditional route is I casually followed the FIRE community because I wasn't sure what to do with the money that we were saving and accumulating. Now, my wife and I didn't really follow the frugal aspects, though we love a great deal. But the other side of the coin is we happily spend on things that are important to us. So we traveled a lot and we were location independent with the jobs that we had, but we traveled here in the U.S. and rented houses in relatively expensive cities while we were paying rent at our main residence and we would stay for a month or three months. We really enjoyed it. Now, by the time I shifted to running my own business, we already saved a lot because we mostly lived pretty scrappily and we were making great salaries aside from you know the expensive houses that we were renting we were saving quite a bit and since i was working for myself and i liked what i was doing i earned way more than i would in a corporate job so we gradually moved into the financial independence area though not retired. So I think my big takeaway is unless you're starting your career you can't really skip those 10 to 20 years that detour that you guys described. Now, in my case, I learned a lot about growing teams and training people, creating systems and project management from top tier companies while I was getting paid during that corporate career. I'm happy where I am now and I can't complain about those few years. I think a blended approach is probably pretty common for a lot of folks out there. And as you pointed out, a lot of people in the FIRE community end up doing something else. They're very motivated. They like to create things. And if they're motivated enough to figure out how to save money and retire and have a successful career, most of the time, they're not just going to sit on their hands once they have accumulated a lot lot of money and they're financially independent. Yes. Well, I got to say, first off, Doug has an amazing podcast and we're going to link up to it in the show notes. I expect no less from Doug than to come drop by the show and drop off a little bit of nuance to all this. So part of the reason we wanted to explore these different strategies in good faith is that they all have a lot to bring to the table. So let's just take a look at it. The classic good job script allows you to leverage other people's money. It allows you to achieve a high exit velocity. So exit velocity is the combination of resources, especially like skills, mindsets, relationships that you build from a career. You know, we have often seen over the year, Ian, people get hip to internet businesses and they decide they're going to do something completely different on the internet than they do day to day, which they already get paid for. And some of the most successful cases we've seen are people that leverage directly their career experience 
into a small business that they own themselves. Now you might say, well, my career isn't that relevant to internet business. And then we might say, well, why do you have that career? Maybe consider changing that. One final thing about the good job script is this concept of the intrapreneur, something I've been thinking about a little bit this week, Ian, because I've been reading a good book called Your Next Five Moves. It's a business book with, a, again, lived experience, some theories here and there. And One of the ideas was that a really excellent path for people with an entrepreneurial spirit is to consider being an entrepreneur. And I always thought, oh, this is just a buzz term for people who don't really want to be an entrepreneur. So they justify having a job by calling it entrepreneurship. And all this changed for me when I'm reading this book and we recently hired an entrepreneur. And there's a key distinction he makes about this idea. And I think everybody listening to the show could take this to a classic good job, which is this idea that an entrepreneur cares more about the company's money than their own. And this is a really interesting distinction of like which side of the mindset fence you find yourself on when you're part of a team. Now, part of what being an entrepreneur is all about is feeling sometimes alienated from your team because their concerns tend to be around tasks, around getting good feedback from a good day's work, about getting paid, about the structure of the business, etc. Meanwhile, on the other side of the mindset fence, the entrepreneurs shaking in their boots about paying the electric bill, about whether or not the revenue is going to come in next month. And I think me and you, Ian, over our careers, is we've always been entrepreneurs at companies, which is we care more about the companies than our own respective role at that company. And this comes with some challenges, but it also comes with enormous opportunities. I remember on multiple occasions, Ian, I've hired people that make more money than me. That's a classic entrepreneur move because the company needed these people. I'm not advocating for my own salary. I'm advocating for the company to move forward. The idea in the entrepreneur's mind is that they'll move forward along with it, whether or not it's that immediate payoff of a a higher salary or the long game of the relationships and the experience of actually feeling your hands on the wheel of a meaningful cash flow and company. Yeah, I think you can even play this entrepreneurship game as an entrepreneur owning your own business. You know, especially in the early years, because you know, there's conflicting advice. Actually, we haven't talked about this recently on the show, Dan, but there's conflicting advice about like how much you should pay yourself, and like if your company can't pay you right away as an owner of the company, then like it's not going to be a good fit. Right, like a profit first kind of mindset. Yeah, that should probably be a conversation that re-enters this podcast as we start this business side of my jobs. Because uh, truth is, we haven't paid ourselves anything in the last two years. And I don't think we're going to pay ourselves for the next two years, honestly. That's how we roll. Listen to the Tropical MBA podcast where you can hear about two guys make no money. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're bringing to the table. It's an approach and it's not so dissimilar to the entrepreneur approach. Whereas you care more about the company and the company's success than you do about your personal income. And I think that that's a hedge. And it's not to say we're not making any money. It's just we're making money in every last dollar we're reinvesting into the company to grow it. And this is what we did with our first business as well. I don't know. I think you can be an entrepreneur as an entrepreneur in your own company, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if you're just cherry picking this idea of company's money versus your money, fair enough. There is this idea that I've heard brought up where like, there's kind of a 
archetype of the martyr, the person who bears the burden on behalf of the company. And that's really the entrepreneur. That is what entrepreneurs do in the early days. On the other side of the spectrum, you can be an entrepreneur that has a little bit more of a hacker mindset where you say, you know, this business serves me. It's going to make me money. And both approaches are, are super valid. And that comes back to Doug's comment, which is, look, this stuff is all like complicated and all the nuance can actually be really useful in the end because these are all valid approaches that depend on the situation, your mindset. And the key thing is to engage in a strategy that keeps you moving forward because it's the action that gets you access to the information that ultimately will build the successful business. A few other things that Doug brought up is the fire movement. Look, there is no business that can't benefit from a founder who understands that entrepreneurship starts with your wallet. And if you can get your personal finances in order, that can be an extremely empowering thing. When I talked about earlier in the episode, when I first moved to California, it was this hopeless idea that I would never control my financial future that made me get a loan on a car that was a bad deal because I thought it didn't really matter, that I would never have control over my financial destiny, that my destiny was ultimately sitting in other people's desks for 30 years. I love the FIRE movement because it suggests that no, even if you have a good job, you are ultimately responsible for your own personal balance sheet, and that ought to be empowering. And also, Doug at the end brings up the importance of you know not sitting on your hands and doing something that you're passionate about that also ideally makes you an income. Now, how long is it all going to take? Think about this approach of being an entrepreneur versus a solid, good employee with a high salary. They're two different things. If you're the entrepreneur, you might be so disruptive in your career that maybe that timeline or the counter clock on the wall that says 15 years till I can retire, maybe you adjust that quite a bit by being a disruptive entrepreneur. And that's really thousand day thinking is to suggest that those disruptions will actually work out in your favor. And if you're highly disruptive, maybe you can find an early retirement within a decade. Whereas if you're depending on things to stay the same and consistent, it could take a great deal longer. It could, Dan. And most importantly for me in that scenario is is that you're having a good bit of fun along the way. Because uh, a lot of these outcomes, they are not decided. Did you get to golf on Wednesdays? You know, These things I think are important. Golf on Wednesday is important. Let's keep that in the episode. I do think fun is an enormous competitive advantage. We got to be honest, that's a lot of the appeal of Tropical MBA thousand day thinking is like, hey, have a really exciting career, see a bunch of interesting places and meet a lot of interesting people and might have a ton of fun putting yourself on a path towards wealth. Thanks, Doug, for your call. And to finish it off, we have a love story from the time of COVID, an incredible win for two members of our very own Dynamite Jobs team, Lena and Alex. Alex called in to share his COVID story. Hi, this is Alex from Bogota, Colombia. And my quarantine story is that I got married. So when the citywide lockdowns began and the the borders were, uh, were quickly closed, it was unclear when Lena and I would be able to see our families again or, or even be able to go outside of our apartment. This time together led to a lot of conversations about what was important to us and our future. And these are topics that we had discussed before, but were ever more heightened. In the world of uncertainty, one thing became ever more clear. We wanted to be together no matter what was happening in the world. 
So on July 31st, 2020, Aline and I got married. There was no big party and there were no wedding bells. It was just us, the officiator and our families watching via live stream. And it was perfect. So after months and months of enforced quarantines, I'm so thankful that this time has brought Lena and I closer, and we've chosen to be together for all the right reasons. It's still unclear when the borders will open, and it'll be safe to see our families again, but no matter the uncertainty, I'm lucky enough to go through it all with the love of my life at my side. How cool. Lena and Alex are just amazing to work with. So much of their passion and soul is represented in everything we do over at Dynamite Jobs. So we wish them a happy honeymoon. Uh, It's been cool to see the photos come in already. And first thing for me, Ian, this is the first wedding I've attended in a t-shirt, which I really appreciated. And I also got to do some gossip at the back of the pews, but I was doing it through Slack instead of... (laughs) (laughs) That's right. They had a Zoom wedding. I wasn't like the first guy at the bar with the other disgruntled uncle or whatever. (laughs) I was on Slack (laughs) with other attendees talking about how beautiful of a wedding it is and how these young kids are just growing up so fast. That's right. You and I were asking, is this an open bar? But it was over (laughs) Slack, and then we walked to our own refrigerator. (laughs) Congratulations to Alex and Lena. Have a great honeymoon, and we look forward to seeing you at the end of September. This episode was supplied to us by you, the listeners. We appreciate it so, so much for uh, recording on your phone, sharing us with your thoughts, your ideas. This is where we get our thoughts and ideas. We don't sit around in a vacuum and come up with this stuff off the tops of our heads. Everything mentioned here today came from you guys. Speaking with you, seeing your stories, processing them in real time, that's what this show is all about. Thanks for emailing me your voicemails. That's Dan at tropicalmba.com. And if I sound a little salty today, it's because I got Element Electrolyte Mix in my water, and we appreciate them sponsoring the show. Fun fact, boss, man, I was looking at our production schedule. This show's sponsors are sold out through February. I'll take it, and I'm very grateful for those that are advertising on the show. Check them out, Element Brands. Yeah, buddy. Fantastic stuff, actually. Part of me wishes we would have started Element Brands because. I just love this electrolyte mix scene. I'm such a big fan of it. So really cool that they came to the show. Ian, I got a lot of news updates here, but a lot of it's real inside baseball, real below the pod. So I'll tell you what, what instead I'm going to do is I'm going to pull out my quill, channel a little Billy Shakespeare over here, and I'm going to write up a TMBA newsletter for this week. So if you're interested in hearing a personal note from my desk about what me and Ian are up to, head on over to tropicalmba.com. Put your email address in that newsletter opt-in. You'll also get a free copy of our book, Before the Exit, which is, you know, a good book. It's a good book. You should read it. It's free. Is that a deal worthy of the king of Craigslist? Is that... Is that? Well, I don't really... Honestly, I don't browse the free uh, listings because... I'm fast, but I'm not that fast. Like The king! You have to literally be circling Austin. Like You have to be driving all the time to get the free stuff. Like You have to be in your car with your phone on to get the free stuff. Because people post free, they'll post the address, and then there's like no way I can get there in time. So I don't even mess with the free stuff, honestly. And thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great week. That's it for now. We'll be back, as always, next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.